Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Exciting update. I have a brand new free resource. You all asked for it, so I created it. This is a relationship attachment quiz designed to help you understand your patterns in relationships. You can take this totally free quiz now by going to the link in my Instagram bio at Dr. Morgan Coaching and click attachment quiz. And you all know I love to hear from you. So either screenshot and tag me with your result or send me a DM letting me know your result from the quiz. You guys, this is totally free and this will be helpful to you. So go check it out. Can't wait for you to take the quiz and to share your results. Hello, Let's Get Vulnerable listeners. I'm so excited for today's episode. We have a very special guest. We have Dr. Elizabeth Frederick or Fedrick. So she is a licensed professional counselor. She owns a private practice, Evolve Counseling in Gilbert, Arizona. She specializes in a lot of different areas, depression, anxiety, trauma, relationship issues, and personal improvement. So she also teaches behavioral health courses at Grand Canyon University, and she co-hosts a podcast um, evolve counseling and behavioral health services. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank I'm you. so excited to have you. I am so excited as well. I know all of our connections over the last few months on Instagram have been so fun. I'm so happy we get yes. to connect verbally. I know. I know. It's one thing to like make all the connections online and the comments and see each other's posts, but then to actually get to talk. It's like, it's so exciting. So I agree. Glad that you're here. And, um, I definitely want to have you just take a little time and tell the audience who, who you are and what, what you do. Okay. Um, well, as my bio says, um, I own a, uh, practice in Gilbert, Arizona, um, we, a lot of our providers specialize in children, adolescents, and, and I used to as well, but most of my work now is, uh, with adults. Um, I do a lot of work with individuals, uh, couples, families, um, but a lot of the focus, even when I'm working with individuals is on, um, often their relationships. So the relational dynamic between either them and their current partner, or maybe even processing through previous experiences with partners and then really working to make those changes um, for the healthier future relationships. And so that's, I mean, really all over the board, whether we're working on current stuff or working really in preparation for uh, future relationships um, is a lot of what I do. And then also, like you said, um, I'm a professor at a local university here um, and I am 
very passionate about mental health and relational health and all of those things. I love it. And you're also into fitness because you just worked out. So that's (laughs) another thing we have in common. I love that. Well, I know in your uh, posts on Lulu, crack me up as I'm sitting here in my top to bottom Lulu. (laughs) Um, Yes, I totally, you're a girl after my own heart. There we go. I love it. So, and I always find it interesting because I think we all have our own stories about this, but what was it that drew you towards like working with relationships specifically? Um, I think that it happened really organically for me. It wasn't something that I sought out to do. Um, it, when I got into the private practice, because I used to work more in community mental health. And so it was a lot, that's where I did a lot of my work with children and adolescents. And then when I transitioned into private practice, it became a lot more, um, about relationships and a lot more of the individual work of the anxiety and the depression and the trauma, but really how all of those things were impacting relationships mm-hmm. or how relationships were impacting those things. And so it, it just happened naturally that the common theme continued to be how, how someone's either their upbringing is impacting their current relational dynamic, which is giving them a lot of distress um, or how that relational dynamic is impacting then, um, you know, feeling more anxious or depressed. Mm. And so it just became a very common topic of, of conversation. And from there, I really expanded my research and um, really the reading and seeking out further knowledge to understand it. So yeah. it's been a, more like a process than something I intentionally sought out. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, thinking about kind of the interpersonal model of mental health and just how much our relationships do impact our functioning, obviously. And also, as you said, vice versa, right? Our functioning Mm -hmm. impacting our relationships. And really, when you think about it, that's one of the main reasons why we're here on this planet, right? Is to have relationships, to connect with people. So, of course, it makes yeah. sense that it's it's this huge part of, of what we do as psychologists. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And and that gets so complicated at times, you know, when the adaptive behaviors go towards maybe isolation or go towards mm-hmm. I don't need a relationship; it's safer on my own, and um, or you know, seeking out those relationships and having the fear of well, I must be really codependent; I must not be able to be on my own. And really helping to normalize, as you're saying, as humans, we are wired for connection. We're wired for healthy attachment. And so that is not that is not a symptom of codependency in and of itself. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I always find myself saying to people, you know, you weren't born with your attachment style, right? Yes. Like if you're anxious or avoidant, you weren't born that way. It develops out of your experiences, right? It develops out of that template. Yes, that is such a good point and has the ability. I mean, there's fluidity in it. It has the ability to change and evolve based on the quality of current future relationships, which is interesting. Yeah. Those corrective emotional experiences, right? That we can have in new relationships. And then as I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but I mean, as a psychologist or even as a coach, one of the things that we do is we provide a corrective experience for people 
in the relationship and working with us, right? Yes, that is such a beautiful point. That's so true that to be able to provide a template for safety and security and for, you know, that unconditional positive regard that maybe is so foreign to a lot of our clients, you're right. It's a very powerful thing. Yes. Yes. And let's talk about that. I know you and I talked a little bit just about what felt important today. And I think one thing that we know is so impactful is people's early childhood experiences and then Mm -hmm. how that shapes the beliefs that they have about themselves. Right. Yeah. And about relationships. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, um, Yeah. And I think that what catches a lot of people off guard is that these attachment styles and these belief systems start forming truly like in infancy. Um, And in those very formative few months when, um, you know, that the attachment to your primary caregiver is solidified in that first six to nine months. And so it's really very formative in those first few months that the way that your caregiver responds to you, so whether they are uh, warm and responsive and nurturing, or if they're cold and neglectful, um, or maybe even angry and scary, really in those first few months, we're setting the template for our attachment styles and for our our beliefs um, about ourselves, about others, and about the world as a whole, if the world can be safe or not. And so that I, I know a lot of my clients, when I talk to them about that, there, there's often, you know, surprise in it that it starts that early on, but mm-hmm. truly it is those early interactions. And then, you know, your caregivers often just reaffirm throughout early childhood and then um, throughout childhood as a whole, like those generally how they're parenting you in infancy is how they continue to parent you. And so that continues to reaff- reaffirm the beliefs about you know, your worth and mm-hmm. your uh, value to others and then the safety of others around you. So key. And I think that's a great point that, wow, it is happening at such a young age. And that's why so much of this is unconscious because yeah. you have no idea what, you know, your treatment was at, at six months old, like that, you right. know, it's just all that programming is so unconscious. Um, what do you think? Cause I know there's some mixed thoughts on this. You know, there's this idea that yes, it's obviously early childhood experiences that really impact our attachment style. But then what about also early romantic relationships and even relationships into adulthood also forming that attachment style? Completely. And I, yeah. I really believe that the programming that takes place with our primary caregivers early on is, is what sets the stage for those partners that we seek out, um, whether right. it's the early relationships, junior high or high school, um, but then into adulthood, the way that we uh, interpret love and, and what it means to feel loved and to feel in relationship with other people, whether that is that um, the template is that in relationships, I have to be the one to pursue, I have to chase, I have to perform in order to get acceptance and love. Um, Or, you know, I have to not be a burden, I I just have to Mm. be easy, go with the flow, people pleasing, you know, what, whatever that is, we then will, will seek that out. Um, That is the 
that is the connection that we believe um, is is a relationship. And so I, I work with a lot of my clients on talking about that on their programming. We draw a lot of connections to their current adult relationship mm-hmm. and then really those earlier life experiences, um, whether it is that they are seeking out the narcissist or seeking out the codependent or that they're trying to perform for their acceptance, there's usually a very striking parallel between the two. And making those connections, don't don't you think, I mean, that's one of the most powerful things that you can do for healing and finally being able to have a healthy relationship where you're no longer yes. doing those patterns, right? Yeah. Yes. That- Self-awareness um, to be able to, and, and the look on so many of my clients' faces, right? When we draw that connection, yeah. when when they talk about, well, it must be me because my parents treated me this way. And then my, the person I love is treating me this way. So it must be something I'm doing and to help them to understand that it's not about what you're doing. It's about what you're seeking because that's what you know. Right. So it's not coincidental that Mm -hmm. your present day, uh, relationship is mimicking that of childhood. Um, that's what you sought out because that's your uncomfortable comfort zone. Exactly. Your uncomfortable comfort zone. I really like that. Yeah. And you know, the, the repetition compulsion theory, right? Right. That Mm -hmm. of course, if we could just seek out that person and then this time we could have a different outcome where we actually feel love, then it'll make up for all of that pain we experience. Totally. That, that attempt to rewrite the narrative, right? Because if you're, if your parent wasn't able to provide love in the way that you needed it, we're going to try to redo it this time. And this time it's going to have a different outcome. (laughs) And then this time it's going to have a different outcome. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over. And you want that different result. You want that healthy relationship. But yeah, you and I both know that it won't change until you change internally and and you do the healing, right? I think sometimes that's a piece that gets left out is, okay, you have to actually feel the pain and grieve the experiences that, that you had in order to let them go and then invite that new template. But if you skip the, the grieving piece, it just comes back to get you later. I completely agree with that because a big part of the grieving piece of this is acknowledging the dysfunction. And that's yes. really hard for a lot of people to acknowledge my, my parents loved me and they did the best they mm-hmm. could. And they really screwed up. They really yes. did not do that great of a job. And so having, being able to acknowledge it without feeling like this is betrayal of my parents, this is betrayal of my whole childhood. Um, that that whole grief process can be really difficult, but but you're right. It is not until that acknowledgement takes place and the willingness to stop living in denial that your parents loved you and they did things that weren't okay. Um, that has to happen in order for you to then say to have a different expectation of your present day partner. Exactly. Exactly. I love that you said that because so often when I'm working with people in the program, they'll say like, oh, but I love my parents. They're such good people. And I just, I can't have, you know, these feelings about them. And you, and you did the, the thing that I teach all my clients to do, which is use dialectics, right? Mm-hmm. Say, 
they love me. They did the best they could and they failed me in these ways. And both can be true. Yes, absolutely. And that's really hard that, um, finding the gray is really hard because it's, we just want to put people in categories. You know, they were either good or bad. It's really hard to accept that there's the potential for both. Yes. In the same way, when you fully accept yourself and all of the ways that, you know, you have areas that you're working on and strengths, right? We all have things that are not perfect, right? Like when you Mm -hmm. can give that to yourself, you can also then see your parents in that way or see your past in that way. And there it's, it's never just in categories. Exactly. Yes. And I love that in terms of when you, when you, when you're speaking of it about self, because uh, another big part of what the work we do is on our core beliefs. And so uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is the foundation of my practice. And so we do a lot of work on identifying what is the belief system that we're operating on. Um, So, you know, what were these messages sent early on as attachment was forming? And then what belief was then developed as a result? Um, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of being loved just as I am. I have to perform for love. Whatever that that belief is, um, you're absolutely right. We, we have to work to rewire, to reprogram that belief yes. in order to promote this future healthy relationship because we can do, you know, the work around, okay, coming to terms with our experiences with our parents and our upbringing. But then if we're still carrying around the belief of, okay, that's, uh, we can resolve that. Uh, I can forgive, we can move on, but I'm still not good enough. Mm-hmm. Then you're still going to be seeking out partners who reaffirm that you're not good enough. And so really then only half of the work is done. Exactly. Exactly. It's so, so true. Um, I, you know, whenever I meet with people, sometimes I'll say, you know, it's like you're dating the same type of person over and over, but they have a different haircut, right? Yes. Like, and you're like, what the heck? I'm working on myself. But really until you do that really intentional rewiring, right? Where your mm-hmm. beliefs are changed. Um, until you do that, you will just attract the same person over and over, even if it looks different in the beginning. I know I used mm-hmm. to think that I'd be like, oh no, this is the time it's the healthy relationship, this one. And then it would always be the same thing. So it's so maddening when, when you're doing that. Um, but yeah, what, what a powerful realization though, that we can, right? Like that's so empowering. We have the power to rewire our brain. Yes, we truly do. And, and that is focusing on, um, the evidence to the contrary of whatever that belief system is we're carrying around. And so mm-hmm. focusing on that we can be loved, we can be good enough, we are good enough. Um, absolutely. That is all part of the rewiring. And it's hard work. It takes a lot of practice. Um, yes. But to your point, until we do it, we do continue to end up same relationship, different day. And, and those red flags, you know, we maybe look different or we're, we're putting on different colored glasses yeah. to look at, you know, all those things that we try to do to distort that. But at the end of the day, we, we know what we're getting into. It's the same pattern over and over. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like, have you, I'm sure you've seen like some of those, I don't want to call them cheesy, but I don't know what <laughs> other word to use. Like on, on Instagram, like the, the dating accounts where they're like, you just need these 10 texts. And if you can send these messages, 
then you'll get the guy, right? Like it's the tips and tricks kind of people. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh yes. Which are so just like for you and I and anyone else in our field. So infuriating it because is. it is not about, um, you know, just ignore them long enough until then they yeah. want you or, you there, know, all of yes. these dysfunctional they're behaviors. They're teaching people how to like play games. Yeah. And they're saying like, Hey, just use this strategy. But yeah, you and I know like, no, you have to do the internal work. You have to change. Um, right. A strategy is just going to maintain your dysfunction. Well, and I, I think what is just even more Yes, that that you're saying it exactly right, that that is reaffirming the belief, like, because at the end of the day, you're, that's the same, you feel like you have to change these things about you in order to attract somebody versus like going into it and you're both just healthy. You know, there's not, the games don't have to be played, but it's just healthy communication and attachment from the beginning. But you're right with all of those strategies, so to speak. Um, it's setting up the stage for the dysfunction. Yep. This, this makes me think about something that I've been really thinking about a lot lately. And I think it's, it's one of my least favorite beliefs about love. And I want to see what you think of this one, but it's the belief that love is hard. Ah, yes. (laughs) Um, yeah. And that is really sad. That is, and yes. so true for so many people. Like I, I imagine you sit with as many people as I do who yep. are saying the same thing that that, and, and that really goes back to that wiring to the template that was created in yes. early childhood, that love is not only hard, but love is painful yes. and love is um, rejecting and it's something we have to chase and pursue and work mm-hmm. for. And it's all of these things that it, it truly is not. It truly um, is how, not. Yeah. How do you, how do you address that? Like when it comes up with your clients, like what is the reframe that you use for that? Yeah. A lot of what you said is like, well, Hey, that is what you learned based on mm-hmm. your experiences. Right. And also just acknowledging how well is that belief serving you? Look at what that belief is doing. It's like it it impacts how you're showing up. You are working super, super hard. What would happen if the belief was love is available to me, Mm -hmm. right? Like love is there. Love is, I don't want to say easy, but, you know, easily attained, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and so that usually leads into you know, a lot of the work and I'm I'm sure you can relate is so if somebody is with a current partner or they continue to attract the same person, a lot of the work is that, well, I fully believe we're all responsible for, you know, relationship is 50-50 and we all bring our own stuff to the table and we all have our own dysfunction in it. But when we continue to seek out the same person who reaffirms that love is hard. So continue to seek out the person Mm -hmm. with the narcissistic tendencies because they are outgoing and they're fun and they're exciting and they make you wait five days to get the text back and they cancel on you last minute. And, you know, all of these things that reaffirm that love is hard when in fact, that's not about love at all. That's, that is that continuing to seek out 
another individual with a very screwed up template, a very, you know, you like, yeah, whatever it is that reminds you of your parents and you continue to seek that out. Right. That is not at all about love. That's not a reflection of love. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's, it's such an important distinction, really. I, and then I always like to have people think about, well, Hey, what would it look like if you had a healthy relationship? Like, let's explore that. What does that look like? What, what, what are your standards and your expectations in a healthy relationship? People are kind of always like, Oh, I can actually think about that and intentionally create that list. Yes. That is one of the, um, one of the primary activities that I do with uh, work, especially And I wouldn't say only with single clients. I do this with people in relationship as well, but for them to create that list. And and what I usually do is like there are five needs and five wants. Um, And so the needs are, these are the non-negotiables and just has to, you know, they have to have a job. They maybe they have to be of a certain faith or um, emotionally intelligent, you know, whatever that is, we try to be as very clear as possible and then the five wants, and these would be um, preferences. Um, and then when they come in and we start talking through this list, and that for a lot of people, that's difficult because it's like, wait a minute, I get to be selective. I, yeah. I get to choose what my partner has. And so there's a lot of empowerment in that. And then as we're going through the list, you know, processing why is this important to you? Like mm. where, what belief is this attached to? And then talking about, in addition, usually in session, talking about then the additional deal breakers. So we have our needs and our wants, but then what are some of these deal breakers? What are, what are the ways that you expect to be treated in order to stay in a relationship? And to your point, a lot of people don't think through any of this. Nope. Yeah, they don't, right? And it's, it's always so crazy to me that we never really discuss these things growing up or, you know, there's no class on healthy relationships and it's just kind of like, well, whatever you had in childhood, hopefully you had a good model, but so many of us don't. Right. Um, so then, yeah, we're adults and that light bulb goes off of, wow, I, I can be intentional. I can rewire and I can get clear about what I want. So that sounds like a great, great exercise that you have your clients do. I love that. Yeah. And I encourage, like, especially, you know, when I, when I'm talking about it in settings like this, I encourage people, you know, your audience to do that and to put it yeah. somewhere that they can see it. And so that, um, cause, cause beyond just creating the list, it is also then when you start dating, are you referencing back to your list? Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. are you allowing yourself to get into old patterns? Or are you saying, okay, I've been here before. I know how this goes. So as tempting as it is to do it again, like, I know I need to call it. Um, It can just be a really good visual for that. Yeah. I love that so much. I'm all about that with my clients. We do a lot of visual things that we create and uh, it is that consistency of coming back to it over and over because you're, you are rewiring, you know, decades probably of programming. So guess what? When we do that, we have to be consistent with it. So makes total sense. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, um, and yeah, that is the best way to describe it in terms of even when you think of like an addict or 
um, you know, having whatever the addiction to gambling or uh, to a substance it's not so easy just to stop, to just walk away, just to, just to choose a different option, so to speak. And the same is the way with our, the way that we're wired for relationships. We, we can't just say, okay, my logical brain is telling me this is really unhealthy. So my emotional brain is just immediately on board. Um, that is most yeah. certainly not how that works. <laughs> if only, if only it worked that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question yeah. for you. And this is just, I'm curious as someone who works with this too, Let's say you have a client who's really anxiously attached and they Mm -hmm. keep engaging in anxious behaviors like sending, you know, 15 text messages or they, they get really, really worked up. And, you know, we, we know that that's just a coping skill and it's something that at one point helped them in some way, but it's no longer helping them now. Do you, how would you help them in changing that? Would you use like a cognitive behavioral intervention? Yeah. So often we identify what is the belief that's driving those behaviors. Right. And so um, I use something um, I developed called the three W's um, when a trigger, because so we know when the 15 texts are being sent, we know that there was likely a trigger involved, right? right. We know whether that the trigger is something external or it's it's internal. So it is, okay, I haven't gotten the text back in the last hour. And then the thoughts can go anywhere, anywhere from cheating to dying in a car accident to they hate me now, like wherever the anxious thoughts go, they go and they go hard. And we know that. Yep. And so when those behaviors come up and when we, um, I really encourage my clients to focus on the, the internal cues, um, of their body. So those physiological responses Mm. that tend to take place prior to the anxious behavior. And so for a lot of people that is, they can, they'll notice, um, a lump in their throat or their chest is tightening. Their stomach is full of butterflies and not in a good way. Mine um, was always my stomach in the past. I used to be constantly physically ill in, in my stomach. And that was how I knew I had, I mean, it was, okay, I'm anxiously attached and that's the sign. Yes. That's beautiful. And, yeah. and when we increase that awareness, um, that is so powerful because yep. a lot of time, most people, they don't, they don't realize those physiological responses are connected to something. They, they just think there's two things going on at once. Right. So it's exactly. like, my body's uncomfortable and I haven't received the text back, but it's not, my body is uncomfortable because I haven't received the You're text right. back. You're right. They, a lot of people don't make the connection. Okay. What right. are the W's of like, I've. So, so the first one is, um, what's going on in my body. Okay. So when those, that internal cue happens, whatever it is, what's going on in my body. And, and we've already established at this point, I, um, this is something I do with clients pretty early on is helping them like, like, you know, it's your stomach. That's something yep. we would have worked on a couple sessions in so that once you know what your internal cue is, that's the most powerful. So what's going on in my body and the second W is where is it coming from? Okay. So my body's having a reaction. Okay. So what, what is causing it? So the, the, where is it coming from? Okay. I haven't got that text, what, whatever the trigger is. So that middle one is the trigger, which is also a lot of times people, um, aren't even aware of their triggers. And so that is the other part of bringing the self-awareness around, you know, what mm-hmm. causes that. And then the third is the, what do I need? And so yeah. the, what do I need? 
um, I'm going to promise you this. It is not sending 15 texts. That is <laughs> most certainly not solving anybody's problem. Oh my gosh. Um, 21 year old so Morgan that, would be like, no, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Totally. How else are they going to see? I want, yeah. know, I want their attention. I'm, I'm trying to send a message here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not the, what do I need is can be so powerful because it yes. can be, maybe it's a coping skill. Maybe, maybe what I need is just to sit in the discomfort for a moment mm-hmm. and feel it. Maybe what I need is to call my friend who I know is going to answer and tell me you better not send those texts, you know, exactly. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I love these three W's. Thanks for sharing that. I, it's oh, funny. Sure, like I align so much with what you're saying and it's, it's just one of those things like, Hey, when you work with enough people, you know what works. So yeah. I mean, we are totally on the same page here and I, I, I do something that. sort of similar. Um, and I do it through mindfulness, self-compassion. So adding like a mindfulness element basically to these stuff. Okay. Um, uh-huh. So like so, what, like where would you add it in? So the, it's, it's basically, I just have them go into a mindfulness self-compassion meditation. And the first part is what am I feeling in my body? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wow, we are so on the same page. And then <laughs> um, what are the emotions I'm feeling? And okay. then um, if obviously, if I had a friend who was dealing with this, what would I say to them? Uh, but then I always have them end the meditation with what do I need right now? So that is anyways, so girl, similar. That's so funny. We are so on the same page. I love <laughs> I it. I love it. I'm going to definitely have to add that extra piece in. That's such a good point. And that what would a friend tell you? I mean, that ties in you know, so much logical self-talk has to take place with these anxious behaviors of Mm -hmm. talking yourself off the ledge. Like maybe they got caught caught up in work. Maybe their mom exactly. Oh my god! You know, like yeah, we need the the prefrontal. We need the prefrontal cortex to start fire. You know, to fire again instead of that reptilian brain, right? Because you're almost in that like fight or flight mode when you're really activated. Yeah, you absolutely are. You are. Yeah talk about that brain chemistry a lot with my clients um, to help them to understand that, yeah, when the limbic system fires and Mm -hmm. when the amygdala hijacks the body, right, um, we then will behave in very irrational ways until, to your point, we get the prefrontal cortex back online. And that's where the three W's and your mindfulness activity, that is the sole purpose of those activities is to get the prefrontal cortex back. Yes. And you and I both know that the first few times you do it, it's not going to go well, but it's all in the practice and the consistency and just doing it over and over and over. Yes. And to be fair, you could, uh, I tell my clients a lot, like I have a doctorate in this field and I still struggle. I still will have days, you know, where pull out the three W's and I'm like, can't even get to the second one. So right, there are days that are harder than others. We're but- human. And yeah, yes. there's always factors. There's always, you know, if it's, I, I think about this, like if there's a perfect storm of different factors, like, you know, not enough sleep or um, being super overwhelmed or, you know, maybe I didn't eat something like yes. enough of a perfect storm. And, and I can definitely still experience an anxious attachment response exactly we're all human so then that's why you go okay this is a lifetime commitment working towards secure attachment yes 
Yes. And that is why I, I share that with people like that. I even at times struggle. So to really normalize it, that yes. you're not going to go to therapy or go to coaching and go for a few sessions. And now, yep. you know, there's some magic wand. That's just, that's not how it works. You learn the tools, mm-hmm. but then you have to practice the tools as you're saying pretty much indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a commitment. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. Wow. Well, I love the work that you're doing and I can imagine that you're helping so many people. I think it's awesome. I want to make sure um, that people know how to find you on Instagram. What, what is the best way to find you? Sure. So uh, my website is evolvecounselingaz.com. And then on Instagram, I'm at evolvecounselingaz. Evolve Counseling AZ. Okay. Yeah. And then of course we want people to DM you to DM me. Tell us how they felt about this episode. And yes. Yeah. Please. Definitely take us in your stories. You know, we, we want to know that you're listening and hear any takeaways that you have. Um, Absolutely. But I love this conversation. I think Anytime somebody works with relationships and they know about attachment theory and they know about cognitive behavioral therapy, it's like, okay, that's going to be a good conversation. I totally agree. And so many times these topics are done and and not that they can't because they are so comprehensive in and of themselves, but they're often done as separate entities. And I really believe that attachment theory and core beliefs and um, cognitive behavioral therapy, like it's all really overlapping and it, they all have ties in each other. So I love oh, when we can combine it. Yes. I so agree. And I know, I'm sure you might relate to this, but it can be really frustrating when there's professionals who are, you know, like, no, I'm only cognitive behavioral therapy or, yeah. you know, no, I'm, I'm only going to do a psychodynamic approach or whatever it is, but it's like, Hey, it's all connected to me, the most important thing is that people can understand it and they can apply it to their lives and it works. Right. That's what well, matters. and the <laughs> most important thing is that it is relevant to your client, right? Yes. Our clients are so unique and um, all have different experiences. And so, yes, to your point, if we're saying this is the one and only way, how many, how many needs are we missing along exactly. the way for our clients? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's so important to tailor it, to make sure that people are getting what they need. And, um, I think that everything we've talked about today are interventions that people can really understand and really apply. Like it's straightforward. It's, it's accessible yes. to people. It yeah. completely is. And that one of the biggest things we've said a few times, but the self-awareness is like, first and foremost, I would, you know, if if picking a main takeaway, it's increasing your self-awareness of how your current behaviors and relationships, how that's coming from your upbringing and how you're repeating those patterns. Um, But then applying, yeah, to to your point, the the W's and um, applying those other aspects that when you're getting caught up in those triggers, you can do something about it. Yes. Awareness. But then if I always, I feel this, that awareness is nothing without action, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Great point. 
It's so funny in graduate school. I always, I don't know. Do you remember in grad school, there'd be like people who were like, oh, I hate CBT or, oh, I'm all this. <laughs> I was one of those people yes. who was like, I hate CBT. I'm never going to use it, whatever. But you get in the field and you do enough and you realize, oh, I just, I need to use the tools that work for people. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's um, exactly. That's so funny. But one thing I always ask people as I'm wrapping up, so I want to make sure that I ask you, and that is if you were just walking on the street and someone came up to you and they said, hey, what's your best life advice? What would you say? No pressure. Oh man, more no than pressure. Yeah, I was just, just about to say. <laughs> just at no the moment. At this doesn't have to be like on record forever, but right now, <laughs> like what would be your best life advice? My best life advice, it would be probably to find balance. Um, mm -hmm. And that balance between ambition and drive and, and achievement and the other half of that being, you know, play and downtime and rest and, and connection and all of those things that um, focusing your energy on one more than the other uh, is inevitably going to have, take a major toll, be very detrimental. And so that would probably be in the moment. And maybe I'm projecting, maybe that's coming from my own need for balance. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I feel called out right now. That, <laughs> that feels yes. I mean, I think for all of us, like during these times though, that has felt like a very prominent theme of how, how do you find balance when your work is at home or, you know, it's just, yeah. and there's so much going on in the world and it's, it's a very, very important point now more than ever to find that balance. Yeah. And, and has to be so intentional. And I, yeah, yes, working from home and, uh, and my son teases me that, um, to stay home, it's either my home office or my office office that I, I'm always in one or the other. And so mm -hmm. to be able to be really intentional that, you know, setting aside time for yes. me for self-care for all of those things is, um, I'm just learning the older I get, the more important it is. So Same here. That has been my, <laughs> my current goal. Same here. I love there's a Tony Robbins quote. I'm, maybe you've heard this one where he says, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Uh, yeah. And that is so true. And the fulfillment mm -hmm. of, um, not just our achievements, but the fulfillment of human connection and yes. things that make our heart happy and, and play exactly. is a big thing. I, I go back to even for adults, like we exactly. have to play, we have to have fun. Yeah, we do. We do. The art of fulfillment. Fulfillment is an art. It's not a science. You have to be willing to experiment and be curious and Give, give yourself that space in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Even when it's outside of the comfort zone, which yes, for me, it often is outside of my comfort zone <laughs> to explore those other things. I hear you. Well, I feel like this podcast is one of those things for me. So I just want to also thank you for being part of this. And I know that people are going to love this interview and get a lot out of it. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I, again, I'm so glad we connected. This has been a lot of fun. Great. Well, and who knows? We will have a part two in the future. You never know. But in the meantime, people will know how to find us on Instagram. So make sure yes. you reach out.
exactly. Great. Thank you so much. Awesome. And as always, everyone, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. I'll talk with you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.